So very, very happy to be joined this morning by Angus Barnes, who's joining us, I'm assuming, up there in the Hunter Valley. Good morning, Angus Barnes. Good morning, Rich. Actually, I'm coming to you from Sydney From today. Sydney town, okay. And yeah. you, you're also, we've got Ewan uh, Proctor as well, who's uh, out there in Healesville. Uh, so, yeah, look, Angus, it's a bit of a story, of course. I have a lot to thank you for because you were kind enough to recruit me into Perna Ricard Winemakers many moons ago and uh, shipped me off to, up into Northern Europe to do some work up there. And actually, it was interesting, at the same time, Ewan uh, was looking at that sort of gig. To, in fact, I think you may have shown me that gig, Ewan. I, I, don't, I can't remember. But then at the same time, you went off to work for Penfolds in China. So we were these two young guys leaving leaving Australia and going off to do our thing. So um, thanks for that, <laughs> Angus. Absolute pleasure. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was an adventure and, uh, you know, there was a couple of, apart from my accident over there, everything, yeah. was, everything was incredible. I had an awesome time. And, um, you know, uh, it was just one of those... Fabulous opportunities. Say again, mate. I told you not to fight the reindeers. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> well, I had my I had my Viking hat on with the horns, and you know, I got a little bit worked up. That's one of the great myths of uh, Sweden, actually. That the, the, there's no evidence at all that anyone ever wore hats with horns <laughs> on them. So I don't know. But you walk into Gamla Stan in the middle of Stockholm, and there's a heap of places selling them. Anyway, crazy stuff. Uh, Angus Barnes, you're actually from the Hunter Valley, is that right? Correct. So um, uh, I grew up in the Hunter. My my father and um, my mother um, started businesses up there. So in 1970, my father was the original vineyard manager and then general manager of a company called Saxonvale, which at the time had 600 acres in the ground, which was, the, I think, the second biggest vineyard in Australia. Really? And then in 1976, my father, who's a bit of an entrepreneur, decided that the Hunter needed a restaurant in the vineyards much against everyone's best advice because they thought we could all always go into the RSL in, in the local town. But um, he opened a restaurant in 1976, which is still going today, um, and there's about 60 other restaurants in there. And the, the story of the restaurant's terrific because when Blackstone, Wentworth and Lawson went across the Blue Mountains in Sydney to, to uncover the great food bowl in sort of orange, etc., Blackstone was granted some land. He took it up near Broke in the Hunter, um, which he named after his old army captain, and the convicts built him a homestead, um, which went into ruin. And my father bought the, the remains of the uh, that convict homestead and built the restaurant from that from those ruins. And right. and it was amazing that it had the two sort of um, uh, bricks were the big sandstone bricks, but also these little clay bricks with with a B and a diamond that the convicts had made for Blacksland. So it was a, it was a great story. Uh, what was the name of the restaurant, or is it still called it, the same thing? It's called Blacksland. Well, it was called Blacksland's Barn when, when it first started, and now it's called Blacksland's Inn, but it's still there. And um, we were there for 20, 20, I think 26 years. I got married there. I had my my 21st birthday there. It's, it's a great place, and I still... Um, even though it's not in our family anymore, I still yeah. feel strong nostalgia every time I drive past, which is often nowadays. That's fantastic. Oh, I love a good regional restaurant. But that, isn't that fantastic that somebody's, you know, pioneering that sort of thing? Yeah, we often get people on, on the show here talking about the, being the first to do something. Or But that would have been outrageous in the 70s to do something like that. C correct. They really didn't. They didn't think that restaurants would survive in the vineyards. And at the time we opened it, we had my... Basically, my father is the sommelier and maitre d'. My mum is the waitress. We had did have one chef, but the biggest part of the food was people would buy a beautiful piece of steak, and we had a, a, a barbecue, a sort of commercial barbecue 
off to the side of the restaurant. They'd cook it themselves and, and <laughs> we'd provide them with a salad. And, and by the time we left, we had sort of 11 in the kitchen, including a Japanese tempura chef. So it was, um, again, I admire my father for his um, ingenuity and his constant updating of things as time went on. Yeah, entrepreneurial spirit. So without people yeah. like that, we just don't have cool things. And also, so you mentioned Saxon Vale was the sort of vineyard. So was it 600 hectares or acres, did you say? Acres in those days. So 600 so, so, acres in yeah. the 70s, and that was one of the biggest vineyards going around. Co- correct. And, and, I mean, quite frankly, it's, it's still a big vineyard in anyone's um, uh, reckoning. Unfortunately, a lot of the vineyards now have been taken up by some of the open-cut coal mines up towards sort of that broke Singleton area. Right. But there's still some beautiful vineyards, and I know that um, there's, there's a couple of winemakers who purchase fruit from those vineyards and still make some terrific wines. Well, you'll be sad to hear that the Hunter Valley is one of the places that I've only ever visited as a child, mum and right. mum and dad. Dad went wine tasting up there, and it was one of those things. I remember tagging along as a kid and just thinking it was the most boring thing of all time, <laughs> uh, which has obviously changed greatly. Uh, and I feel when was the last time you were up up in the Hunter? You and you you're you're up in Sydney all the time, so. Uh, yeah, I've and um, like uh, been very lucky. Like over Christmas, to um, drive up to stay with my brother up at Mwollomba. I had I had two chances and I, I that's that's like you know I get out of Sydney and then I do a little detour so yeah go and check out so I was actually there two weeks ago yeah cool uh, it's also there's a bit of a Yarra Valley flavour or Hunter Valley flavour in the Yarra Valley now of course so I used to uh, run the cellar door at Medhurst and was lucky enough to live on the vineyard there for a bit. And, of course, Simon Steele, who's been on the show before. Morning, if you're listening. He's probably surfing, actually, knowing Simon. But Sim Steele, he was making wines up there with Ian Leslie Riggs at Brokenwood. And, of course, Crowey out at uh, Yarra Yearing. She used to work at Brokenwood as well. One of the things I'm sort of bringing towards that, I suppose, getting a bit more specific, Angus, is the that light, dry red style that is the Hunter Valley is so famous for. And I remember on the wine front looking at wines and I think it was Gary Walsh was talking about this Mountain X which I think was a wine that they'd made and it was this Shiraz Pinot Noir thing and I was like <laughs> just like what is this concoction it made no sense to me at all and of course now that I'm a bit older and, and a bit wiser it makes perfect sense to me so start, what what is let's go into like a bit a few specifics about the the region Angus what, why is it so famous for these kind of medium body red wines so it, it's a good story, and, and there is a tie into the organisation that I'm now part of. So in 1921, Maurice O'Shea um, had come back from France and decided he wanted to, to buy and establish a vineyard in the Hunter. He bought the, the, the site of a, a vineyard um, at the current Mount Pleasant site, which had been planted by the King family in, in 1880. But what, well, uh, Maurice O'Shea was famous for a number of things, but I think the two things that he was famous for, one was... He, he used to take his horse and cart into into the local town and buy a big block of ice and bring them back out during vintage and put them in the uh, in the fermentation vessels to to regulate the temperature of fermentation. But probably more important for this conversation, he was a great blender. Yeah. And he planted some vines um, in 1921, including w- what we think um, uh, is Australia's oldest um, Pinot Noir vines, which is right up in front of the, the vineyard now. And he uh, established a number of blends of wines, the most famous of which, which I think um, it's interesting you talk about the Yarra because I think a number of people in the Yarra are now starting to Shiraz Pinot blends like oh, yeah. Poet, um, Yarra Yering. Um, uh, but he established that sort of the light, dry, red style of wines. And it's probably important to note that the Hunter um, 
is probably not known for making big full-bodied wines. Just our climate, um, we pick early. Uh, our Shiraz generally is light in colour and relatively light in tannin. Um, and blending it with, uh, his original thought was to blend it with Pinot Noir because it would give it that more flavour and in some ways that more juice and more tannin extraction. And again, th th that's the style of wine that he makes. And we've got a wine called Mount Henry, which is a blend of Shiraz and Pinot Noir. And again, we think it's a very food friendly, that acidity comes through from the Pinot Noir. And again, I think it's a style of wine that has a future, um, not only in the Hunter, but right across Australia. I couldn't agree with you more. And so when I turned up to Medhurst and there was this wine called YRB and it was 50% Pinot Noir, 50% Shiraz and they'd pick it, yeah, early uh, and didn't see oak and there was no sort of pumping over or anything like that. So for the listeners at home, if you want to extract colour and tannin, you can pump juice through or plunge the wines with a plunger. We'd just get it on a forklift and just do a little tip through from one plastic bucket to another. Uh, and so these wines had this sort of ethereal kind of lightness to them, which is wonderful. But it was called YRB as an homage to the Lindemann's Hunter River Burgundy. So we called it Yarra River Burgundy, of course. And then they did the light dry red at Yarra Yearing. And then, you know, there's a bunch of, I mean, even Flamo was making the LDR, which is just classic giant steps, kind of taking one from, from everybody. But I remember drinking a, a Lindemann's, Hunter River Burgundy, like a bin 3110 or something, not from 1983, and just thinking this stuff is just glorious. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I agree. I, I love those styles of wines. And, and again, um, uh, the Mount Pleasant uh, wines, they've made these wines um, and Morris O'Shea dedicated them to, he called them the Mountain Series. So Mountain A was a medium dry, Mountain D was the full bodied. So it gave him the flexibility to choose from a number of sites um, across his vineyards in the Hunter, but also to blend in other varieties if he needed to and really make wines that were of a style rather than particularly of a great variety or of a vineyard. Being on the ground at the moment, you and in the valley, uh, are there any other Pinot Shiraz kind of things that are hitting, the, hitting their straps at the moment that we should look out for? Uh, yeah, there's a few around. Um... Tony Fickers is making one. Yep. And is yeah, that the uh, under the Fickers sort of two bricks yeah, label or just? I think it's under Rising. Isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, putting me on this, I told you that he's putting me on. He's in shark mode. He's just like, <laughs> <laughs> just circling and dropping me in at every. <laughs> you got all uh, those weird esoteric things, mate. I was, I'm so sorry. I was, <laughs> I was having so much fun when I was writing them, but I, I think that's a. I think it's an interesting thing, though, Angus, that um, this sort of Hunter River or Hunt, Hunter Valley kind of thing has, you know, infected if he with an with wanting a better phrase, into Victoria, uh, because it is Australia's oldest wine region, isn't it, really? Correct. So, um, I mean, vines were planted there in, well, commercial vines were planted there in 1828. Um, so the Hunter um, is, will be celebrating 200 years of uh, commercial wine in, in 2028. So wow. it is a significant um, place, and there are a lot of vineyards that are more than 100 years of, of age, Tyrrells. Um, we've got some vines that were planted in 1880, on our property, um, a number of producers have got some. So there is some great history. And obviously, our distance from Sydney made it important to us from a commercial perspective, especially in the early days when transport was hard. But now it's, it's also significant for us in terms of tourism. Speaking of old vines, and I'm going to tie in one of our fantastic listeners, Christopher, who's incredibly loyal and, uh, and a great fella. He's, he is 
very into the Barossa and, and often we're talking about these old vines in the Barossa, you know. So Christopher writes in, got a question for Angus. I know Mount Pleasant have some of the oldest Pinot Noir vines in Australia, so that's sort of part of it, which I'm sure you'll talk about, Angus. And the other one is which which wines or which wine does that fruit go into? So so, um, so from a Pinot Noir perspective, um, we have uh, two, uh, vineyard, two Pinot Noir vineyards on our property. One was planted in 1921. And what tends to happen is on the good years, we will make uh, our own um, old hill. And I think we might rename it Mother Vine. I'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Um, uh, Pinot Noir and again small production 150 dozen um, and we have some Pinot Noir that was planted um, uh, in about 1940 1946 um, which we generally use um, to to make the Mount Henry blend with the Shiraz now on, on a lesser year um, we'll use Pinot Noir across the vineyard it would be fair to say that Pinot Noir and the Hunter are probably not uh, a perfect match from um, uh, a historical perspective i mean it's quite a warmish climate um we pick early so we, we, the pinot noir will be coming off um they're our first pick and they'll be coming off in about 10 10 days time yep. um they can make in, in a warm year they make sort of quite rich wines but in a year that was um coolish like 1920 uh, sorry about 2021 yep. they made wines that were much more um ethereal and they have a little bit of that strawberry character good base of tannin maybe a little bit more on that savory spectrum than say some of the cooler climates from from other other states tasmania etc etc yep uh and so when you say the mother vine you know a lot of the a lot of the pinot noir clones around the place that are planted and the, the most ubiquitous one is what we call mv6 so does that come from the vines those ones at mount pleasant the answer is we, we think so, and we're just getting it ratified now by the Australian um, Wine Research Institute, the AWRI. So in 2020, when there was a um, the bushfires up in the Adelaide Hills, there was a vineyard there that had a lot of vine propagation material from right across Australia. So a lot of the history, the early history of the Australian vines, um, and that was some of that was destroyed. So the AWRI are undertaking a, a research um, project at the moment. And the belief is that the the, M, the mother vines, and indeed the MB6, um, comes from that 1921 Pinot Noir vineyard uh, at the bottom, the base of our vineyard. So it's, it's kind of nice to say that there's a quite a lot of Pinot Noir from around the country that that has it home, that has its home in the Hunter Valley. Yeah, and it's it, that is a great thing because, as I said, we're always talking about you know, I sell a lot of this wonderful wine from Shield Estate called the Mururu Vineyard down there in Lindock, yep. right next yep. to Jacobs Creek. I'm sure you would have yep. probably visited it. Yep. Uh, Ed Shield saved it in the 80s and, you know, so Anne Jacob uh, herself planted it in 1847 and, you know, that's just that's such an easy story to tell but it's also such a small vineyard and a small wine but I think it's important that we that we talk about the the Hunter stuff and, and speaking of the Hunter stuff, I mean, what's the most famous thing coming out of there? It's it's got to be Semillon, doesn't it? Why? What is it with with Hunter Semillon, and why do we have such a love affair with it? Oh, look, it would probably be fair to say that Australia can unequivocally say we make the best style of wines in two cases. One is probably Rutherglen Musket, and the other is Hunter Semillon. And Semillon has its history in Bordeaux, uh, and it was used to blend with a number of other white varieties to make the white that white Bordeaux style, including the Great Saturns. Yeah. But in the Hunter, it, it seems to, it's an early ripener. 
It has good high acidity. And the most important thing is it attains physiological ripeness at quite an early stage at a lower, lowish alcohol. So there are lots of hunter semions that are sort of 10 or 11%. And that's important for the hunter because we have it some ways, in some ways a challenging climate. We, we often get a lot of summer rain. And if we can get that, that semion off in, in an early time, like we did in 21 and more particularly 22, um, these wines at sort of 10 or 11% of alcohol have reached physiological ripeness. They've got that beautiful acidity. And I think they are um, a, a lovely style of wine. And they do two things. One is you can drink them young and fresh. And fun enough, I would invite the listeners to have a look at any 22 semion from the Hunter Valley because I think 22 just happens to be one of those years out of the out of the box like say 2013 and um some years before that and then with with age let's say five years if i'm being very generous then they develop a little bit more of that rich character sort of lanolin and honey and toast and and they feel like they've been in oak but they haven't and they just live and live and live and, and semion in some ways like riesling is one of those white varieties that you can keep for many many years and they just develop and, and turn into these lovely ethereal wines and and Chenin Blanc, of course, is another one. What's uh, yes. what have you got? I'm, I am in shark mode, Ewan. Have you? Have, what's one of the older kind of semions you've had? Have you have you had a chance to try the really old, the really old gear from the hunter? Yes, yeah, so I've I've tried a lot of stuff from the '70s. So um, uh, so people like well Tyrrells um, and Rothbury Estate made some fantastic oh, yeah. hunter semions in the '70s, and though again some of them were as low as eight, seven, eight, nine percent alcohol, and they, again. <laughs> As they get older, if they've been kept well and if the cork's good, you know, they've got that yellow character, but they're, they're unctuous. They're sort of so viscous and they're almost like honey and they've got the lovely lanolin character. And some of them still have that that line of acidity, which I think has kept them going from all that time. So I would have loved to have tried some of the old, old wines, but yeah. um, really probably the 70s and the 60s is, is as old as I've got to. And, and Ewan, as a category in Vivino, an online thing, and I can talk about this as a Victorian, it's, it is pretty tough to sell Hunter Semion to Victorians because we're pretty passionate about drinking our local Chardonnays from up the road or something. Now, we do have the 22 Mount Pleasant wine in the store at Alfington, of course, at Dan Murphy's, and, and a few other ones. But what's your take on it, Ewan? Is it, something, uh, is it a growing category? Is it just sort of stagnant? Is it something you like? Uh, like, I mean, I don't want to dob on the Australian drinker, but... <laughs> We like Shiraz, man. Like it's just, it's just so phenomenal, and it's almost hard to admit the actual the level of demand that we see or the level of scans. I think the the, the, the number of scans that we see for Shiraz and including Hunter Hunter Valley Shiraz, as well as part of that, like I was saying, breaking it into different regions has been really instructive because yeah. you know Sydney's a big market, and it, and and the Hunter in Sydney do have a real love affair on a tourism level as well, um, and so we've got a lot of users. Uh, in Sydney, scanning Hunter Hunter Valley wines, and they tend like tend much more to Shiraz than the Semillon. And so I think that's a, that's the job of us on these shows and and this sort of thing is just keep flying the flag for the Semillons because they are so special. Yeah. Now we're joined by Angus Barnes, who's the general manager of Mount Pleasant Wines. Angus, how are you going to sell Semillon to Victorians, mate? That's the that's a tough question. Oh, what are you going to do? What's the, what's the thing? What are, what sort of things can you put in place to sort of get these these wines more well known across Australia, not just in Sydney? Oh, so again, I think the best thing we can do is get that glass in hand. And again, um, I have a view um, that semi, that young Semyon is the future. 
um, probably in some ways more so than than the, the old Semyon. The old Semyon is always going to be um, a great experience for the the experienced wine consumers and the, and those people going through wine education. But I think that young Semyon has just got that lovely, fresh, um, floral character, lovely acidity, goes terrifically well with sort of white flesh fish, um, with uh, summer salads, etc. This time of year. Um, Quite frankly, there's quite a few bottles opened in, in my household. And it's actually really good with uh, like a kingfish ceviche or something like that, you know, yeah. where you're just curing the fish uh, quickly as well. Uh, so we've got a few minutes left. I wanted just to go back to Mount Pleasant itself and some of the, um, you know, what what, we're, what you guys refer to as significant sites. So Old Hill, Old Paddock, Rose Hill. Do you want to just give us a brief rundown on those wines, Angus? Yeah, we've, we've got three major vineyards, um, which Maurice O'Shea planted. Well, he planted the, the Lovedale and the Rose Hill himself in 1921. And then on the what we call the estate, which is the old paddock and the old hill, um, he inherited some vineyards that have been there since 1880, but then he planted a number, one, a number of ones um, in, when he arrived in 1921 and then subsequently on from there. There are three different types of soil. So let's probably start with Lovedale, which is close to the... Um, the Cessnock Airport. Um, it's sand over clay. It's beautiful um, Semyon uh, territory. And again, uh, that's where our great Lovedale Semyon wines come off, that early ripening. Uh, again, they get that physiological ripeness at, the sec at that early stage. Then we move across to Rose Hill, which I think is a very important vineyard for us. It's literally across the road from um, the Lakes Folly Vineyard. Right. Um, and again, uh, um, the style of wine that comes off that vineyard are probably more elegant styles of Shiraz. So for us, it's really a red wine vineyard. And we, we think that it's a unique style that, um, that Rose Hill gives that is probably a bit more elegant, a bit more perfumed, um, lighter in tannin, um, more sort of that light to medium bodied style of wine. And then we come back to the estate wines, which are up on the hills, which is the traditional area of Bacolban, where a lot of the early vineyards were planted on that contoured banks. And again, we've got this uh, two vineyards there. One is Old Hill and one is Old Paddock. And by their name, there's a creek that runs through the middle of the property and everything on the hillside is the Old Hill and yep. everything on the flutter side is the Old Paddock. Yep. Um, those wines are ri richer in style, um, the, the much more red soil, much more alluvial types of soil, making wines that, again, um, I think they describe as full-bodied, but I'd describe as sort of medium to full-bodied. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're, they're absolutely great. And I... I think I told you I'd had a bit of 09 Rose Hill as well uh, in the um, that I'd bought from auction and uh, oh, I, I drank one and I was 09 and it was like, oh, this is so, so young. <laughs> so, yeah. so I gave the other bottle to the old man. I'm sure Stan, hello, I'm sure he's listening. It was his birthday the other day, so happy birthday, Dad. I did speak to him, so I'm not being a bad son, although I can be. But I gave the other one to him to pop in the wine fridge, and I, and he was very pleasantly surprised when I told him that you were coming on today, Angus. So um, it's something that we'll probably share in a few years uh, going on. Um, also, I suppose you just want to get more people up to visit uh, the, the winery. So what sort of Celador experience can they expect if they get up there? So we've uh, we've spent uh, a considerable amount of time and amount of money in the in, in the start of 22 or the end of 21 and 22 and, and built a, a beautiful new cellar door experience and now um, you can come up anytime uh, during the week. We have a number of we have about six different tasting experiences from a white experience, a red experience, a Mount Pleasant introductory right to a Morris O'Shea where you do a flight of Morris O'Shea wines. 
we have a, a chef base there. So every tasting has a, um, uh, a food accompaniment and you can um, uh, uh, get food additional upon to that and make it into a meal. Yeah. Um, but again, um, we've got good trained staff. We've got the winemaker um, 20 metres behind the cellar door in, in the winery he'll come across. And again, you get a good cross-section of, of Hunter wines. And for us, it's really about Semillon and Shiraz. We make a little bit of um, Pinot Noir, as we talked about before, a small amount of Piano uh, and a Temp Tariga, but uh, sort of 80, 85% of what we do is Shiraz and then a little bit of Semillon and the, and the rest of there. And just to finish, Angus, it was your uh, very old, very sorry, very good old mate, Jim Chatto, who was making the wines before. Who, who's, who's, uh, who's in the kitchen, so to speak, now? Who's in the engine room of the winery? Again, one of the, the reasons that attracted me to come to Mount Pleasant is the history of the winemaking. So they've had five winemakers um, wow. since the probably started in 1921. Yeah. Um, so you're right, Jim Chatto was there. Um, and we currently have a gentleman by the name of Adrian Sparks. Yeah. Adrian started at Mount Pleasant in 2014 and then took over as chief winemaker himself in the 2018 vintage. So um, Adrian's originally from, the, from Griffith. And when you ask him why he came to the hunter, he said he tried a Rose Hill Shiraz once, and he said, "I'd love to be able to make wines like that." And, and that's that's why he's here. And again, he's uh, he's rapidly getting ready for the 2023 vintage and pulling some Rose Hill in, in in probably in about six weeks' time. And and you mentioned before, Angus, lastly, that uh, you you probably start picking in ten or twelve days. Is that sort of an, a regular time for you, or is it a bit later? Or what? How are we feeling? It's a good question. So when I was a kid, and I'm I'm uh, just on the other side of 50, um, when I was a kid, it was always whether we picked before Australia Day or after Australia Day was about the average. And over the years through, possibly through climate change, possibly through better uh, canopy management and vineyard management, it got a bit earlier and earlier. And there were years that we got, especially in those drought years, 17, 18, 19, when we got close to um, the, the New Year's Eve sort of cutoff, we picked around sort of 5th, 6th of January. Wow. This year we've gone back. Um, so we'll pick... And we thought it was going to be about the 20th, 21st, but actually um, we've had a few cooler days. So um, the Hunters had a really, really cool uh, 12 months. Yeah. And we think we're going to be closer to that Australia Day, so the 25th, 26th um, So old, old school Hunter vintage coming out in 2023 Correct. is what we're looking for. And uh, Angus Barnes, thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the Wine Show Australia. It's been an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks, Rich, and thanks, Ewan. Good to see you.